It's another edition of the Talkman Podcast here. Well, it's Thursday, Thursday, 21st. I guess you could say four days of Christmas. Of course, you can check out the show all the time at MetsmarizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and uh, you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Happy holidays, Happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Probably. And I got a little thing going on with my voice, kind of cracking my voice a little bit. So apologize for that. Probably the last show of 2017 and a lot to talk about. I mean, the last time we were together about a week ago, uh, it's not a Sunday. Like I said, because of the holidays and with the winter meetings, we were going to mix it up a little bit. And sure enough, they're uh, even today hot off the presses. Perfect day probably to do this broadcast uh, you know, which is going to largely and and really, there's not going to be any baseball talk. It's going to be finance talk, but it relates to the New York Mets and their payroll and all this stuff that's come out from Steve Phillips earlier in the week, Mike Puma about Fred Wilpon, Jill Sherman and the Mets budget and payroll. I'll get to all that stuff. And joining me today, a blast from the past, an old friend, somebody who I for about a year and a half. We used to do a podcast together, Sports Media Watchdogs, and that was probably, and I'll tell you what, I've had a lot of fun doing radio over 10 years, mainly solo, had the NYBD site, hosted shows on 1240 AM WGBB, hosted my own Saturday morning weekend uh, fill-in show on uh, ESPN Champions Radio out on Long Island for about four or five months, and I've been doing Talking Mets since the beginning of 2016, a lot of stuff, and all of it's been fun, Weekend Watchdogs coast and that with Joe Bono. My buddy Joe Bono went to Fordham. He does some Islander stuff now. But the thing that I really always enjoyed, and it was so pure, and it was so low maintenance, and it was so, you know, we didn't have any bells and whistles. We didn't have any production. It was just two guys talking sports. We even did a show about Hurricane Sandy right after that. It was my buddy Steve Keen, Crane Pool Society at Crane Pool. He's going to be joining me. Steve doesn't do much writing at Crane Pool Society anymore. He's a, basically tweets. I don't even think he does a podcast. I got to tell you, we've lost contact. And tonight, it'll be the first time I've talked to Steve maybe in three, three or four years in person, you know, on the phone or whatever. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the show. And Steve is essentially going to be speaking for you, the fan. I'm, I'm going to take the position as someone who you all know, huge Mets fan, grew up a Mets fan. And that's what makes this show work. I got the passion of a fan. I've I've tried to learn the craft of radio. I've tried to study and learn what the great journalists do. I try to really be, and I know you all hate because it's a it's a copycat term, fair and balanced uh, perspective on the Mets. But um, you know, I'm going to take that approach into this topic, which is a really important topic because I, I've gone into it and I've really taken the side of the Mets over the last couple of weeks, but. 
with a lot of the information that came out today, and I'll, I'll summarize it. So for those who if – you're, if you're living under a rock, and you'll hear some of the audio of Steve Phillips on WFAN. I actually had a chance to listen to Steve Phillips talk about the Mets and how they go about their business on MLB Network Radio probably a day before he came out and was doing the tweet storm over on Twitter and then went on WFAN with Joe and Evan. And really, the summary was this. The Mets don't try to make a profit. Fred Wilpon does not try to make a profit off of the ball club. And he even said this a couple of weeks ago when he had both Fred Wilpon and Nelson Doubleday as co-owners, 50% each. Each had a different philosophy, so it was always tough as a general manager to kind of hone on that and hone in on that because Nelson Doubleday wanted to spend money to make money. Fred Wilpon wanted to take more of a wait-and-see approach, and essentially what the Mets do is they project their revenues. They project what it would take to be a break-even entity, and that's how they run their operation. That's really tough when you do that year in and year out because you don't know – uh, as the season goes on, yeah, you could have promotions. You could pre-sell some season tickets. If you're a season ticket holder at any point in the last decade, you probably were getting bombed at phone calls from Mets ticket agents. I know I haven't been a season ticket holder in a long time. I really rather watch the games at home, maybe pop into a game or two a year at City Field. Big at going to sporting events anymore as a you know fan. I like watching at home. I think, but now with Direct, you know, whether you have Direct TV, MLB app, all the stuff you have, Twitter, like it's so much better with technology to watch games at home. I understand the experience, you know, the whole thing with the in-game yada yada. It's expensive. It's a pain in the neck to get back and forth. That's not what this is about. Um, so, you know, it's hard. The point is to project revenues, and that's where I think the Mets and Sandy Alderson in particular get into trouble because to be able to go out and sign someone on a four, five, six, seven-year contract, you're taking a leap of faith that the revenues are going to be there. Hence why they can't go and take a risk on someone like John Carlos Stanton or get into the, you know, even with the prospect situation, they probably couldn't get Manny Machado. But even if they wanted to sign him to a long-term deal, there's so much risk with these kind of transactions. So the Mets work backwards. Like, okay, this is what we think our revenue is going to be. How do we break even? We'll build the team from there. They're not building a team saying, let's put the best product on the field. This is where we can probably say a payroll to do that, uh, you know, puts us in that position, and let's go out and win and, and worry about that. Now, that's not the way they could do that. Now, and Howard McDell, our old friend Howard McDell jumped in on all this stuff, with the Madoff situation and all the things that have happened to them over the last six or seven years, you know, you, got, you can't just deny that. Just to say, hey, you know, the Mets are in New York, the Wilpons are cheap. Just read Wilpon's Folly. And, you know, Howard hasn't been doing any reporting in a long time on this. And he had a tweet storm as well a couple of days ago and basically challenged the beat writers. Because Mark Currig came out with the article with essentially saying that the Mets uh, really are working on, uh, you know, a lot of confusion on the budget. They're working on a tight budget. And he called out the ownership group to really come come clean and say, you know, what – what is the budget? What is that? And even Steve Phillips said the Mets are not. No general manager is going to say this is exactly what we have to spend. They're private companies. You can get a feel, but you know, they Kareem really wanted the owners to come out and be at the forefront and say, yeah, we're we're here to spend and win. We just want to spend it on 
the right players. They, they're not doing that. They're not saying anything. So Howard McDell challenges the beat writers to take the mantle from him because Howard's covering women's sports now. He's doing politics. He's not covering the Mets anymore. Uh, he talked about um, find out what the interest and debt against the team in SNY will be next year. Whether or not the minority owners, they, showed, they sold all those ownership shares a couple of years ago. Bill Maher and all those guys, you know, are they cashing out? Do they want their money? Because that's coming out. That would be a liability that they have to prepare for. Uh, the matter of trustee payment, I mean, Adam Rubin reported that about a year ago. I think it's another 30 or $40 million. The, the debt balloon payments on City Field are out there. Now, you could say, Michael, why don't you do that? Look, my job and what I do here, I'm not a beat writer that covers the team day in and day out. I'm doing a podcast to react and to give you the perspective of the fan and balance it with the real world, team building, you know, journalism. I'm trying to bring it all together because I've been on both ends in my own little sphere. And I think it's – I have an interesting take, and I think that's what makes this entertaining. Not, I mean, this is not investigative journalism here. Maybe at some point I could do that, and I dabbled in that a little bit, but that's not what I want to do here. I want to react and look at the news and then discuss it, create an opinion, create discussion, a lot of mental bubblegum. So I'm not going to get into that, but certainly Howard is right. That's the challenge that, uh, uh, you know, that's out there. And I even said this. I think I mentioned it in a podcast maybe last week. Maybe it was on Twitter. We don't know what the Mets, how they are with the MLB debt rules. They don't, that's something that the league doesn't talk about. The Mets, uh, the Dodgers had been in violation of the debt rules. Like, you cannot have more than X number of debt. You can't. That's the way it works. So with all of that, um, you know, my whole take, and everyone's been calling me a Wilpon apologist here, is that, first of all, you don't have a right to tell anybody to sell their, own, their property. This is the property of the Wilpons. You don't like with how they run things. Don't go to the game. Don't watch the team. Teams are not public trust. They could tell you all they want. They're not. They're, pri- they're private companies. They're conglomerates. They're an investment. They're not, they're not a public trust. You don't like it, don't go to the games. The protests and all the other stuff I read about, waste of time. There is so much negativity in the world and in each person's life and challenges. You should be spending your free time on the thing that you love, which is baseball, on something positive. And if the Mets are not that, and I can understand maybe why they're not, then go do something else. I really mean that. Root for another team. Root for another sport. Uh, do something productive. The protesting of the Wilpons and the Mets is a waste of time. And I know our buddy over on Twitter, Mets Police, has talked about, well, you know, with Disney's investment in MLB uh, technology, even if, if you go to a, a Star Wars movie, technically, because that's Disney, you're supporting the Mets. Now, it's, it's six degrees of separation, but you get the point. These protests never work. The way you protest is with your wallet. You don't show up. They get choked out financially. They're going to eventually have to sell the team. I do not think they're going to get a life preserver a second time from Rob Manfred. They did from Bud Selig. Uh, I think you get one get-out-of-jail-free card. I don't think you get two. I think the league is very careful about who owns teams. They don't want certain people owning teams. They don't want Mark Cuban. They don't want those kind of guys. So, uh, To me, that's a waste of time. I, I think... You want, if you love the Mets, you love baseball, you could be very disappointed in the financial situation. But that's reality. To think that they're holding back, and I agree with Steve Phillips, to think that they're holding back is just 
you're not reading things properly. You're not paying attention to the business side of things. And I'm going to have, as we take a break in a little bit, before we get to Steve Keen, our Buddy Cranepool Society, I'm going to have the quotes from Steve Phillips. I thought Steve Phillips, and he, he got a lot of criticism because everyone doesn't like Steve because you know they, they blame him. I don't think he did a terrible job as a GM. I don't think he did a terrible job at all. And, and things that went bad after 2000, uh, we're not going to talk about that today. Uh, some of that was, was bad luck. And Mo Vaughn, I think, is an overrated narrative because I could really dive into Mo Vaughn, and maybe we'll get to that, but that's not what this is about. You really just have to say to yourself, the Mets are uh, their version of whatever their finances are of a mid-market team. This is the way it's going to be. They're going to have a very thin margin of error. Can they win? Sure. Is it likely? Very difficult. Is it the way you want them to go about their business? Of course not. But what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to keep, you know, it's not your job to do that. It's the beat writers to, to, to talk about this stuff. And maybe they will. Joel Sherman came out with the article basically saying that the Mets have $10 million to spend. That came out today. Then Mike Puma comes out with uh, Fred Wilpon is obsessed with the Yankees. The most disappointing thing about all this. And I'm going to read it to you because forget the payroll, forget. Because I think the Mets have some money to spend. Maybe not as much as they should because of the Madoff and all the things I just mentioned about two minutes ago. But here's the thing that really bothered me. It should bother you. Here's the quote. That was not necessarily Yankees money, but it was large for the Mets and will dwarf what is coming now. Sherman's talking about last year's when they went after, you know, they had Bruce on the payroll. They signed Cespedes. You guys know the deal. For the opening payroll number will be roughly $20 million less in 2018. And I'm throwing this in my own paraphrase, $135 million we're looking at probably versus last year. A concession that the rotation might never be the power as they hope it to be. That realization in conjunction with other factors has lowered the Mets' internal assessment of their playoff chances from this time last year. And thus lowered how much the Wilpons and Salt Cats are willing to invest in the roster. That to me is disappointing. Now, I don't know if that's the baseball people. To me, that's ownership. And essentially ownership is saying... The guys I have, I don't think are as good as I thought. Uh, this is an 85-win team. If they show, if things break a certain way, and there's a real chance that getting into the mix is going to uh, be worthwhile, we'll, we'll make it worthwhile. And to me, that totally absolves the fact that they had a manager and a pitching coach. I keep going back to this, that the last two years has done a horrible job, that the preparation and their process on handling and managing injuries – has been horrible, that the culture has been so bad. Because I'm going to tell you, there's talent on this roster. There are holes. You're missing the Jay Bruce bat. You're missing the, uh, the, the Neil Walker bat. There are holes on this team. But this is not a team that you should let die on the vine. And I go back, and I've said this on this podcast, in 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, there was a couple of years, especially in 2011, 2012, the first couple of years of, of uh, right after Sandy Alderson took over, I understand that they were rebuilding, and they, they were not going to invest in those teams per se at the expense of the long-term plan. And, I have, and, and trading Carlos Beltran and trading R.A. Dickey were the right moves. They, and trading R.A. Dickey basically got them to the World Series. But if they had invested in those teams, and I know the finances, they were just coming out of Madoff, if they had invested in those teams, just maybe, maybe things would have been different. Now, 
this paragraph, what I just read from Joel Sherman in his, in his article, to me tells you that they have the money, they want to spend the money, but only if things are perfect. And the fact that they don't feel that this team is worth spending on, that disappoints me. Because part of the reason that this team is in the predicament that they're in is because the manager that they let hang around way too long and the pitching coach they hate they let hang in way longer than anybody should have were primary culprits into a poor culture in that clubhouse. And the other thing you probably have to look at, and, pro- and this is what does come into money, because Phillips talked about this on MLB Network Radio, that if you have financial problems, you need about $20 million to invest in player development, scouting, and all the things. That's what he estimated that. That's a lot of money. $20 million these days is a all-star or a very good offensive position player. That's what, that's what $20 million is, and that's what you need to spend in player development. And the Mets player development has been poor. Their drafts have not been great. We'll see how Ahmed Rosario and Dominic Smith work out. But, you know, the hysteria, the way that the fans, they, you know, the Wilpons must sell, protest, and then they get crazy about Adrian Gonzalez, the possibility that the Mets will bring him in, probably on a minor league deal, because the guy's making, just like Reyes, is making money from another team. So what? If you bring him in and it works out, it's like Marlon Bird. You never know. I said this during the year, at the end of the year, if you're going to have Rosario and Dominic Smith as your first baseman and shortstop, you better make sure you have some veteran uh, compliments in case they go south. Right now they don't. They don't have a shortstop that could plug in every day. And they don't have a first baseman. And maybe they won't because it sounds like if you only have $10 million to spend, if that's all they're willing to spend, whether they have it or not is another story altogether. We don't know. You're, you're, you're probably not going to get another reliever of any worth. You're probably not going to get a first baseman or a shortstop that can plug in and play every day. You're really going to be investing in the bargain bin. And there's nothing wrong with waiting for January because I think some of the salaries and the demands are really ridiculous. I think you're seeing Hosmer and Mustaka start to see that maybe they're not, their game is not worth the price that they put out there early in the offseason. And – it's worked out well for the Mets. It got them Cespedes two years ago. It got them a couple of relievers last year. One didn't work out in uh, uh, Fernando Salas. The other one, Jerry Blevins, it's, that's a very good contract. And they're very fortunate to have that contract because they need him. So that's my position. I'm not a Wilpon apologist. And the last thing, and I'll take a break. We'll listen to Steve Phillips' comments, and then we'll get to our buddy Steve Keen. The last thing I want to throw out there, when you talk about feeling sorry for the Wilpons, I, you know, look, I know. They got bamboozled by Madoff. I feel sorry. In the Madoff situation, I think there was a lot of greed. And you do feel sorry for people who have their life savings taken away or had some serious financial hardship. But there's a lot of wealthy people who, by the way, are still wealthy that got hit by Madoff. The people that got really – the people you really should feel sorry for are the people that worked for or were with companies that you know, maybe they lost their pensions or their life savings. The people underneath, the regular people like you out there listening, those are the people I feel sorry for. And you know what? You're a victim of Madoff when it comes to the Mets. You're suffering because of what happened. Yes, it's Fred and Jeff. I don't wish them ill on that. We could all think what we want to think. Personally, I think that people had to know that it was too good to be true. And I think the financial people knew something was up. But when it ain't broke, don't fix it. Or, you know, look the other way and hope that the, the dirt doesn't come out under the rug, whatever you may see, whatever you may want to talk about. You know, I'm throwing a little 
non sequitur here, but you're this is a, you're the victim of a made up the made up scam, and the victim is this that your team is compromised, and there's nothing you could do about it. So you're going to protest it, you're going to hate these guys, you're going to demand they sell the team. This is their asset. If they get underwater, if it becomes the, to the point where they can't manage it, and it's come close over the last seven years, they're going to have to. And that's how capitalism works. It's not up to you. It's not up to the media, Tate, who owns a team and who doesn't. It's not the way it works. Let's take a quick break. When I return, we're going to hear from our buddy Steve Keen, Cranepool Society. Let's hear what he has to say. Let's see if he thinks I'm off base. I thought Steve Phillips did an outstanding job. I am not going to support protests. I am not going to support yelling and screaming about the Wilpon selling the team. As much as I'm not happy about the payroll, you can still compete and win with what you have. There's a lot that can be done with this team. What bothers me most, what I said, is the fact that the ownership group doesn't see this particular roster, this particular pool of players, as worthy of investment. And that bothers me because a lot of that has to do with the management team they had on the field the last couple of years. Let's take a quick break. When we return, Steve King, Crane Pool Society, and we'll get into all of this stuff. Steve Phillips, the Wilpons, Joel Sherman's article, Mike Puma's comments about Fred Wilpon and how he is obsessed with the Yankees. Tons to talk about, and we'll have it right after this. Not the way that teams operate, that if they cut payroll in one year, they add payroll to the next year. There's not a single team in baseball that does business that way. In professional sports, it's not how they do it. And so what? The, here, here's the thing, so that people understand. The Mets do not create a budget and a business plan going into the season saying, look, we want to make $20 million this year, so let's look at what our revenues are going to be, work backwards, set a payroll well, we can make $20 million, and if we make more than that, great. If we make a little less than that, we're still making a profit. It's not how they, it's not how they generate their business plan. They have always, always budgeted to break even. And then if you win and exceed expectations or you get to the playoffs, you make money. And then if you're not doing as well and you don't sell tickets during the season like you think, then you do what they did last year, which is trade some guys at the deadline, and they try to cut it down and cut down on the loss of where they're going. So the idea that they have a $155 million payroll, they're doing it to try to budget a profit for themselves, is not an accurate portrayal of the way that they put together their business. Look, at the end, if their payroll is less than what it was last year, I understand that people will be upset by that. I don't suspect that that will be the case. But the idea that they should have done something in a market where nothing's getting done or that they need to go out and spend when nobody it takes two to tango and there's nobody else happening – I, I would say patience, but, I, but the thing that I guess that, that, that riled me up a bit this morning to tweet some things out right. was that this perception that they're cheap. They're not cheap. They spent, there were five teams that made the playoffs last year that had payroll higher than them. They're in New York. Five Dave. teams, Dave. New York five teams Dave. that made the playoffs less than them. Like, it's not appropriate or, or practice to go out and say what your payroll is. But where I think they come up short is – the, you know, sort of laying out the framework of what their plan is. Uh, and then and what happens is, like, like when people form expectations, those are preconceived resentments. So people form their own expectations. And then when you don't live up to their expectation that they created for whatever reason, uh, based upon what you said, what they thought you should do, what the Yankees do, whatever, then they get resentful that you don't live up to it. And so the Mets need to do a better job of communicating with their fans 
about their plan, about their limitations. If there are limitations, there may still be from the Madoff stuff. I, and, and, and so be it if there is. People get mad about that, thought they should have sold. I don't think so. I mean, look, it's their company. If all of us suffered a major financial loss uh, and we all wanted to survive our companies and stay afloat, we do what we would have to do to make it work, even if our customers in some way you know, were negatively affected. Yeah, but- what I will say to you is the presumption then that, that the Wilpons aren't good people, that they don't understand. Don't, don't you think they would like to do it differently? Don't you think they'd rather have people cheering for them and celebrating them rather than doing it the way that they are? Yet they're still choosing it to do the way that they are. Like, why is that? Like, who would want this to, to be where people think you're cheap and you're not accountable, that you don't care, and you don't care about winning? Like, nobody owning a team wants people to think that about them, but they're running it as a business and they're doing it that way. But, so, so people assume... Like Fred Wilpon and Jeff Wilpon are bad guys, or that you know they were in on Madoff and, and all of that. And, and the, in the end, here's what I know: Fred Wilpon, first of all, and I will say this unequivocally, they had no idea about Madoff because I heard his name every week for 13 years in the Met front office. Heard him all the time. Oh, Bernie, this, Bernie, that. Heard him all the time. But I will also tell you that we were deferring money. What I was told to do: go to the accounting department, have them crunch numbers that. If the market does this or the market does that, you know, and it down to like if it does 4% or it does 8% or it does 12% or like what money would they make on the deferrals to be able to cover the deferrals? So if he knew what the plan was, if he knew what money he was making, he wouldn't have the accounting department jump through hoops. It's a, Fred Wilpon is a do the right thing kind of guy. He truly is. He is a gentleman and he has, has very high character. So, so like I get upset for him when people start thinking, wow, well, you know, he doesn't Plus, I sat next to him in games. He was mm-hmm. ridiculously over-the-top passionate about winning. And so they do want to win, but they also are businessmen that they run their team like a business, and therein sometimes lies the conflict with the fan. A bunch of montage of clips of Steve Phillips on WFAN with Joe and Evan, and uh, I gave them their, I guess, the legal disclaimer. And if they sue me, I really don't care. I think WFAN has bigger problems than me right now. But anyway, as promised, it's been a long time. And let me tell you something. If I'm missing Nick Celtics on TNT to record a podcast here on December the 21st at 8.30 at night, there's nobody else I'd rather be doing that with than the next guest. My buddy, co-host for the night. We'll call him a co-host for the night. Steve Keene, Crane Pool Society, at Crane Pool on Twitter. Steve, Steve from Staten Island, how you doing, man? <laughs> Mike Silva, it's been too long, Mike. How you been? Good. I was saying in the open how I've done a lot of different pro- projects. I, I went into like a semi-retirement after the whole ESPN Champions Radio blew up. And then I came back and I kind of got a chance to say, hey, let, let me do something niche. Let me be almost a pseudo you know, Mets podcast get it out there. I thought there was a void in, in this whole sphere, I guess. And uh, But the one thing I always enjoyed doing, we did it for about a year and change, is you and I, you know, no bells, no whistles, just talking sports. We did our Hurricane Sandy show. We talked basketball. We talked NBA. Uh, you know, we were kind of like we're a sports show, but we went and did other things. It was what you and I did with the Sports Media Watchdogs. So that was one of the more fun projects. And uh, I know you've, you you're still – kind of like a tweeter but you're not really in the blogosphere media anymore you've, you've retired haven't you 
Yeah, I kind of gave it up a bit. You know, I I find it's uh, I enjoy going on Twitter and uh, tweeting and tweet Mets Twitter and uh, other people that are on there. It's uh, you know it, some of the stuff. Some people take some of the stuff way too seriously, and it's kind of fun when they come after you. But uh, now the shows we did. Let me tell you, uh, if you know. We send those tapes over to uh, Mark Chernoff over at WFAN because I'm pretty sure we could do a much better job than what they've uh, replaced Francesca with from two to six in drive time. Hey, if they come up with the right price, and Chernoff is not a big Mike Silva fan, I've been pretty pretty critical of them. You know, anything is possible. But let me summarize for you here. You just heard Steve Phillips. You heard, uh, and and I thought Steve Phillips, mm-hmm. whether you agree or disagree with what he said, and I listened to, him, and I don't know if you heard him. He did that plus a little bit more on MLB Network Radio about a day earlier uh, with C.J. Nitkowski on his uh, morning show. Uh, I thought he outlined how the Mets go to market and how they do business, how they how they work the budget, his feelings on the Will Ponds, uh, because there's really an immature way of both talk radio and the media, how they go about analyzing this. And then I also added my own color commentary, which is, hey, you know what? What disappoints me the most, first of all, protests and boycotts are not going to work. And if you, know, if you enjoy baseball, you could be upset about what's going on, but don't make this, which is really a hobby, into something that uh, you should reserve for you know, politics or important things in life. That's where you want to put negative energy. There's enough negative energy in your day. What bothers me the most, Steve, and I'm sure you read the Jill Sherman article – is that – and I'll read the quote um, – that basically ownership is down on the roster uh, because of what happened last year and has lowered the Mets' internal assessment of their playoff chances from this time last year and thus lowered how much the Will Ponds and Soul Cats are willing to invest in the roster. What that tells me is they have money. They're hesitant to spend it. Now, it might not be as much as, as you and I think they should – we know the financial ramifications. I outlined all the things that, and just recently Howard McDell outlined, uh, you know, what things to look for in terms of why they might be tight. But if you really are owning this team and you watched it over the last two years since they went to the World Series, and you don't see how poorly managed and prepared they were by the, the guys in the dugout, and that also falls on the front office, but the guys in the dugout have been such a hindrance to me, that's very disappointing. And that falls on Fred Wilpon because he made sure the guy in the dugout stayed in the dugout far longer than he ever should. That's what disappoints me most out of all the news that has come out, that they don't believe in this roster because I think that that's just wrong. It doesn't seem like there is a plan in place. Now, you and I have been fierce critics of Kyle, Terry Collins and Dan Worthen, And you know, one of the one of the pluses for the 2018 season is both of those guys are gone. I like Mickey Calloway. I like what I've heard from Mickey Calloway. I like his his resume, what he's done with the Indians. Uh, listening to uh, Terry Francona during the winter meetings, you know, he has nothing but praise for for Calloway. I like that he's brought in Dave Island because I think now you need somebody who a younger guy, a guy who has pitched, you know not too far off in, in the major leagues, to work with some of these guys. You needed a new voice. I mean, when you have a starting rotation where guys just keep going down with injury after injury and a, bull, and a bullpen 
that just, you know, you have a manager who just doesn't know how to run a bullpen and the pitching coach who, I, from things that we heard from back years ago, that just doesn't care about the relief pitchers. We, we've heard stories about that, that I felt that they finally turned a, a page in a positive there. The same thing with getting rid of Ray Ramirez. Now, he's been like a punching bag for Met fans for, for all these years. But, th- you know, the, it, the, the sports has changed. Analytics has changed all the sports. Even when it comes to, you know, the medical part, Last year when Sandy Alderson said, well, we never talk, we don't talk every day to the medical staff, I found that astounding. I mean, there is no other team in professional sports or collegiate sports or maybe even high school sports that doesn't speak to their medical staff every day to get a reading on players. And, you know, you see it in the NBA. We see it with the Spurs. They use analytics. That's why uh, Popovich always rests guys on certain days and this is what this is the, the new way of running things, and the Mets have been had fallen so far behind on that. But now that they've let Ramirez go, they still have this relationship with Barris with the the weightlifting and everything, which I don't agree with. But I mean, that, I think that's kind of a, a a financial thing with them. There's things that they've done that have been progressed. University of but Michigan, you, my friend. University yeah, of Michigan. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. That, that's 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 the key. That's the that's what joins it together. Anything that comes out of Ann Arbor, you know, Fred is on top of it. He that he if you, I'm surprised if Tom Brady ever retires from the Patriots, he might he might join Tebow in the uh, you know at St. Lucie during the season because he's a Michigan guy. But there's I don't see a plan. If you if if they, you know and we've we've gone over this. Our, our good friend Howard Megdell has he's he's preached on this transparency. There is none. If you come up and say to me, listen, we're going to run this organization, $150 million will be our payroll, but here's how we're going to do things. If you came to me with a plan and you and I see that you have something in place, I, you know, I'll buy into it. But this just seems like throw it against the wall and see what sticks, and that doesn't work. Absolutely, and uh, joining me is our buddy Steve Keen. You can check him out on Twitter, at Cranepool, Cranepool Society. Uh, you know, I can't disagree with anything you said at, at all, and I think that the dugout is going to make and, – and, and a lot of people say, how, well, how can you say the dugout's going to make a big difference? Uh, if $10 million is all they have to spend, can this team win? I think right now they're missing an impact bat. They're certainly going to need a second baseman. I think they'd like to see another arm in the bullpen, although there's a lot of guys interesting arms in the bullpen from last year. The bullpen has never been managed well. The last Mets manager to manage a bullpen well – in my opinion, was Bobby Valentine. That's how far back we go. Yeah. Don't discount what they have. You know, at some point, the guys they're chasing to sign big money to were nobodies as well. And another team, guess what, Steve? Developed those release pitchers that now are trying to get big money on the market. Why can't they? As far as the bat, I mean, it doesn't sound good that Jay Bruce wants to come here. It sounds like he wants to go to the Giants and play out in the West Coast. Uh, I don't know what their plan is for second base. I think they're going to wait for the market to come back to them. Uh, you can win with this team. And the the thing about this is, if they do have the money to invest, it sounds like they might wait till the season, and they're going to turn around and tell this roster, hey, go out there and show us that Matt Harvey is actually back to being Matt Harvey, that Syndergaard's serious about being the pitcher that he could be, that DeGrom is ready to take the next step, that Matt's could finally take that step. Like I think that's what... Well, and I'm not trying to apologize for the owners. I don't agree with this. But if this is what they feel comfortable with, it's their team. 
Like, who are you and I, other than to shed our opinion out there and share it, who are you and I to say that they have to do it our way? We don't own the team. If you don't like it, don't show up. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, and, the, you know, the part about the not showing up, I, I, I've seen it. a lot of people on social media, Twitter and Facebook, who have been season ticket holders and partial season ticket holders. I saw a guy today that, that, that I work with that he works out of a different office, and I saw him today, and we were talking, and I said, did you renew your, your tickets? He says, no, because I don't want them anymore. There's so many people that are not renewing the tickets. Even the seven line, I saw an email that they had like 85 season tickets available that people dropped. This is going to be a problem because, you know, and I think what hurts it more is you never hear from the ownership. You you know, you hear from Sandy Alderson. He's not the the great, the best public speaker. And, you know, it, it kind of, and sometimes, you know, with the, the sarcasm, it kind of drives the fans crazy. There's no real spokesman for this team. There's nobody to come out and, and say, listen, here's how we're going to run it. This is what this is our plan. This is what we're doing. Then I think we see these articles about this esports that they're involved in, and they seem to be heavily involved in this. They even have this the esports competitions on SNY, and now with the Belmont Arena, Sterling, the Sterling Real Estate, and is is going to be part of the building that. So they're going to be making money from that. And you know, and if you're going to keep the payroll low like you are. You can't charge the ticket prices that they charge. You got to lower your prices, because I'm not. You know, you're gonna ask people to pay, to you know, to, to go to a game, even to get a, like a decent seat, like maybe you know, in, in the three three hundred or four hundred section, it's gonna cost you maybe sixty bucks or seventy bucks a ticket. You go with a couple of people, that's one hundred forty. Got to pay for the parking and the, the food. The concession prices are outlandish too. It comes to a point where you say to yourself, you know what? If you know, do I go to a ball game and pay this money, or like, do I take a weekend in the shore or up in the mountains? And it's going to cost me the same thing. It, you know, this and is you the problem the that game, they and have. You can watch the game on your iPad with the sling box or the MLB.tv. Exactly. I mean, that you can watch me, it anywhere. It's right, and that's part of it. But you're right. I mean, the, you know, and I look at the, you know, I have nothing against the seven line. I think the whole, I think they're goofy. I really do. Uh, they're having fun. To me, that's a social gathering. That's for yeah. young adults, not my age group. I'm only 40, but you know that's not my thing. That's not my thing, Steve. Uh, the protest, and I have listen. If you want to go out and organize a boycott and a protest, I'm not saying that you can't. I'm not making fun of you. I really am not. What I'm saying is this: I think it's a waste of time, and I think it's negative energy in your life that you can better put towards something else. Everybody wants to protest now. The media wants to tell people what should be. If, we, if teams ran what the media told them to do, or if we fired people or hired people on who the media wants, we would, there would be a, a carousel every week. And believe me, the media doesn't know very much. So if you listen to the media, sooner or later, either you're going to get a job at the media or you're going to be reading the newspaper in the stands. You know the old saying, Steve, you know, yeah, if you listen yeah, to the that's fans, the, Bob, you're be the Bobby one of them. Knight saying, it's uh, when you start yeah. listening to the you're gonna people be one behind you, you end up joining them. Yeah, <laughs> I don't no, understand, I mean, and I know I know that uh, you know Mets police, our buddy Shan, you know uh, Shannon over there, and he's a little and he could be a little tough to take sometimes too. And I like him. Yeah, uh, you know he basically said, uh, well, Disney owns MLB Technologies here, M- uh, uh, MLBAM, uh, or a p- portion of it, or a portion of a spinoff, or however you want to look at. It. I'm not going to get into that. Um, 
you know, here's the deal. Uh, don't go to the Star Wars movie. So are you not going to go to the Star Wars movie because the Wilpons are getting a piece of that? So you think how many how many of these people protesting are going to go see Star Wars over the next couple of weeks? <laughs> so I mean, you know, so that's the, my point. Like, the, what what are you what are you accomplishing here? I know. I I see. I you know. I follow some of these people on Twitter, and I see these boycotts and everything, and they're looking for people to boycott. Listen, I've been a Mets fan since 1964. I'm not boycotting. Okay, I I hate some of the stuff that goes on. I don't like how it's run. I don't like that this really no direction, but I already bought tickets for opening day, and I really can't wait to go on opening day. Now, what, they're going to sell out. They'll, be they'll, is, sell, out, they'll yeah, sell out opening day. If, this, if they yep. don't make a single move the rest of the offseason, if they go into the season when Brandon Nimmo in center field and, you know, Luis Guillerme at second base, I'm just, you know, and they're not. I would be surprised if they, they, they would. They'll still sell out on opening day. That tells you all you this is a This is entertainment. This is fun. Uh, you know, it's it's not meant to be uh, life and death. It's just not. No, we're not. You, we're not Yankee fans. I mean, <laughs> we we're not here for the championships. If you were, you're in the wrong place. I mean, you know, to me, it's like what what you know. If you're going to be like boycotting it, it's, you're going to take it out on these on the players. I want to see every guy on this team excel. I want to see Matt Harvey be as healthy as he was three years ago, and pitched the way he did when he was an all-star. I, I want to see Nova Syndergaard be healthy all year, learn how to pitch and not have to throw 100 miles an hour every pitch to learn, you know, the the the, the way to pitch. To And I'm, that's why I like Mickey Calloway and Dave Island. They, they will teach him how to become a pitcher instead of a thrower. I want to see this bull. I want to see Yuri's familiar come in a big spot and come through in a big spot. I want to see them win. I'm hoping that with all the screaming and yelling and everything, that like the first 30 games, they, they end up winning 20 of them. And then that'll shut everybody up. And the thing, the thing that, put the pressure... you're right, that... go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, no, it's like the you thing put, that you never put the pressure on, on, on the organization to make moves because now they'll be winning. People will be showing up. They'll be buzzed. And it, it'll happen. It's like, you know, some people just, and it's, it, you know, I hate saying it, but it's like these 30-somethings, you know, bet fans that, you know, what kind of suffering do you know? You saw you saw your team go to the World Series two years ago. How about if, if you were sitting in Shea Stadium in 1978 and 79 when there's about 200 people sitting there, Joe Torre managing your team and not knowing where we were, you know, what, what kind of organization we had. Under M. Donald Grant, it's it's you know, uh, I mean, I'm not a fan of the Wilpons. I'm certainly not a fan of Jeff's. You and I have had interaction with him, and yeah. you know, I thought that I both know. of us were going to be tossed out on Roosevelt Avenue one night. You know, and you know, I'm defending. The, and here's the thing, you know, he doesn't like me. That's the thing. People think I'm being a Wilpon apologist. This guy don't like me. I can tell you that. Jeff knows about. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not being narcissistic here. Jeff knows what I've done and what I've said. He, he pays attention to this stuff. Maybe not every day, and I'm not saying he's listening to this particular podcast, but he may, knowing that you're on now, Steve. Uh, he doesn't <laughs> like me. I'm just telling you, this is their team. This is their asset. You know, I find it funny, and this is where you got to always worry about agendas in the media. And we saw agendas big time, uh, you know, with the, the, the team that, that I'm watching here on the iPad while I talk to you, the Knicks, with Phil Jackson and, and, and how the media went and handled that whole debacle. Uh, all of a sudden now, a source, and they have obviously been around a long time because 
They said back in 2004, Fred Wilpon was incensed that A-Rod went to the Yankees. I mean, they're trying to paint Fred Wilpon as this idiot that doesn't understand how the Yankees sustain their spending. Well, the Yankees could spend now because they always had the ability to put a $200 million payroll out there. They're trying to get under the luxury tax. They've been able to build and develop talent in their farm system. And part of that, you know, Steve Phillips, I said this in the open, it takes about $20 million to run your farm system appropriately. Maybe that's where the Mets are skimping. So now they have cost-controlled, cheap talent like the Mets had two years ago with the pitching staff. The spending issue has always been out there. So Fred could get mad. The reason it wasn't an issue two years ago and last year is they still had some of these pitchers making a half million dollars a year. Noah Syndergaard was making a half million dollars a year when he came up in 2015. It wasn't an issue. They didn't have to budget for potentially uh, a $20 million contract. Because that's the thing. What they do today, they give Jay Bruce five years. That's the funny part. The media would be happy if they went out today and they gave Jay Bruce a five-year deal. And three years from now, Noah Syndergaard's a free agent or Jacob deGrom is a free agent. And the reason they can't sign them is because Jay Bruce has those extra years and Jay Bruce is declining. What is the media going to say then about, about everything, Steve? You think they're going to say, well, I, I, I'm sorry, guys. I, I told you to sign somebody back in the December of 2017. What are they going to say? They're going to criticize them for not being able to, to, to sign the guys that, at that time. So you can't win. But you have to do what you think is right. And a lot of that, if they're going to sign these pitchers, they have to start being mindful of 18, 19, 20. Yes, going back to what Howard McDell says, it shouldn't be this way. But they're in this situation. The made-up situation happened. It's not going away. You could make the argument Bud Selig could have taken care of this five years ago. He didn't. This is reality. What do you want, what do you want Rob Manfred to do? Strip the team from them? I, I don't understand That's what not, the fans want. It's not going to happen. How do you, demand, I, you, I, you know what, Steve? I don't like the way you, you run your household. I, I think you should sell your house, Steve. You should sell your house. Who the hell am I to say that? Now, it's a crazy yeah, this, analogy, this, Steve, because who cares Steve Keen's house? But that's what we're saying, right? <laughs> Isn't that what everybody said? Well, you know, that, that's, that's the whole thing. It's like, you know, everybody was saying, you know, Bud Selig should have. You know how hard it is to take, uh, to strip an owner. And if you're going to compare the, the, the Wilpons to the McCourts, it's a whole different deal. The McCourts were taking taking all the money out of the Dodgers and spending it. I mean, you, you, you know, just people Google that, you know, Jamie McCourt and, and, his, and, uh, and Frank McCourt and read the stories. You know, this guy was a, uh, ran parking lots and the money, he wasn't making much, you know, you're not making millions of dollars on parking lots, but you're making it on the Dodgers. And he was just like spending that money freely. He wasn't putting it into the team. You know, if, and but the whole problem that you have that I have with the Wilpons again is that just they need to find a real spokesman. They used to have one in David Howard, and that's always been a mystery to me why he was there for so, for so long from when they when they first bought the team back in eighty. He was part of that organization. He was very close with with the Wilpons, and why he left the organization and went to Madison Square Garden, and he only stayed there like maybe a year, and I, I guess he's in private practice now. But he was always the front man. He was always the – because he was the guy – he had that, you know, that Roger Goodell style where he could just get to that podium and, and speak and, you know, have people throw all kinds of questions at him, and he handled them. And he was, you know, he was very good at that role. And 
they don't have that guy anymore. They don't have they don't have the person that can you know. I mean, well, I'm, I'm, when I'm watching the winter really meetings, that. I got to tell you, I thought yeah. uh, Rico did a hell of a lot better job with the messaging than Sandy Alderson. I don't know. I, I, and I, I agree. Just signed a contract extension. So here's the thing: you could say this. Throw this. I'll throw this at you. And I thought about this. Well, maybe Sandy is only going to be here to bridge something. You know, he's going to get them through the next few minutes. Sandy, remember, he's a, he's he's a, he has had cancer. Uh, it sounds like it's in remission. That's serious stuff. Uh, he is going to be what seventy years old. Uh, maybe he's just old. bridging it. I think Rico's going to be. I think Rico's going to be the next GM. So maybe I figured oh, he's taking a step back. But if if you're going to be the front person and he hates the media, Sandy, and maybe they deserve it by the way they act. You cannot. You got to stop with the jokes. The fact that they spent. I said this during the podcast last week. Did these this media like a bunch of schoolgirls ran from Scott Boris over to Sandy Olson? Like, do they like being used by Scott Boris as his PR group? <laughs> uh, do they really like that? I mean, come on, guys. And I mean, look, Mark Carrig came out with the article, you know, demanding that the Wilpons um, come forth. That article is the equivalent of a little tiny, like, Pat. Like, please, could you do it? Like, that wasn't hard-hitting. Howard McDell told everybody. Howard basically did the work for them. He tweeted to them, this is where I stopped when I got out of this. He stopped. And he said, here's what you need to look for to take what I've done and make it yours. Nobody's done anything. Nobody's done a damn thing. So, you know... I blame Sandy thing, for how he acted. The acts, thing is, we, I always you really thought blame that him Paul for not Podesta would be the guy. I always thought that Deep Podesta was going to be the guy to take over, and I think they kind of told him, listen, it's going to be John Rico. He's going to be the GM. And Deep Podesta ended up going to the Cleveland Browns, and that really has not worked out well for him. But it's like they, you know, you know this team, when you look at the National League and you look at all the baseball, if you're at 85 wins, you're in contention for the wild card. You can be in the wild card. I mean, the Twins went from from like a team that like the Mets uh, this year. They won maybe what 70 games, and then they came back, won 90, and they uh, they they ended up as a wild card. You could be eight. I mean, 85 wins will get you there. And I think if you look at the San Francisco Giants, that's I think that's what they realized making the deal for Evan Longoria and trying to add another another outfield bat. They feel like, you know what, you don't have to be a powerhouse to get And once you get in, if you have a, a stud starting pitcher like a Madison Bumgarner and like the Mets have with two studs in DeGrom and Syndergaard, you, you know, uh, you, you, if, I'm, if I'm in that uh, wild card game and I, I can choose between either Syndergaard or DeGrom, I think I have a pretty good edge on whoever I'm going to play in that game. Uh, we saw with the, when we played the Giants and Syndergaard went up against Bumgarner, he matched them pitch for pitch. So, I mean, that could be in the thinking, too. It's like, listen, you don't have to win 100 games. You can win 100 games and just not win anything. And you can have a payroll of $200 million like the Dodgers and, you know, get to the World Series but not win. Uh, the, the Nationals, if, if, if any, any organization is, is, uh, is, is, is a little embarrassing, it's the Nationals because they spend the money, they get the plays, and they still can't get over the hump of winning. So it's, it's not... You know, I think the thing is, it's the Wilpons are very easy to, to knock around because they make it that way. I mean, to me, it's like if I'm if I'm Jeff Wilpon and I'm like, you know, I'm tired of hearing people call me cheap and call me incompetent. I'd have to find a way to. I own a television station. I should be able to go on a show 
and try to express myself and express the you know the direction I want this organization to go. Well, every See, ever problem, since New York Magazine, ever since Fred had the New York Magazine article that portrayed him, and what's funny, they they spent the day with him in the press box with him rooting for the team, and and he said those derogatory things about Beltron and David and, Wright, and David Wright, things like yeah. that. And it was like you know he was saying things that pretty much every fan had said at any time. He said things that talk radio hosts have said. I don't yeah. agree with everything he said, but I said to myself, why is this all of a sudden a big deal? And, and he hasn't really talked since then. I'm disappointed. Here's what I will say. I'm disappointed in Sandy Alderson because I think he's got to cut the humor. I like, I always say this, the guy I emulate, the guy that I think always did it right, is when Pat Riley was the coach of the Knicks, you had Riley, you had Grunfeld, you had Checkets. I've always felt that those guys did it right. You had Coughlin with the Giants, George Young. Guys like that, and that's guys who I grew up, those are the guys that I was like, that's how you run it. That's how you do things. And uh, I thought Sandy Olsen would be that way. I've criticized him. The lawyer BS drives me crazy. But you know what, Steve? Nobody really knows how to challenge him and talk to him. In that whole entire, and I have had Matt, I've had the beat writers on. Nobody really challenges him, and the guys who are columnists, the guys like Kernan and guys like that, they're not around there every day. They're going in to do their their, you know. I mean, I think Vaccaro kind of went after him when he was walking his dog that time, if you remember. And saying he didn't <laughs> yeah. like it. caught him outside his apartment. You know, Vaccaro, like Kernan and Vaccaro, there are guys that go after him, but it's a lot different when you're a columnist and you're not really covering the team day in and day out than when you are the beat writer. And maybe that's because they're afraid they're going to get their access cut. But, geez, if I was an editor of that paper, I'd say, you know what? Don't worry about the, the two-minute quote from Syndergaard about his performance tonight. Go out there and get me a story. Get me an expose. You know, do what Ian Begley did today at ESPN. Yeah, he basically outlined next. everything about mm-hmm. Carmelo and Phil Jackson. I wish he did that a year ago because everybody was given the Carmelo PR mouthpiece over there. Yeah. Um, but, anyway, you get the point. You don't see that with the Mets. Well, and Howard tried well, I to think do that it, and he got fired. But that's, I think that's why everybody, you know, was so happy to read the article that Mark Turek put in Newsday on Sunday, that this was finally a beat writer who was taking the team and organization to task. And, you know, finally somebody did. The Daily News is never going to do that. The, the Post, I mean, you know, Puma, he's, you know, he'll, I guess he'll, once in a while he'll throw something in there. But and this other uh, DeCuomo who does for MLB him between him that, that Gelbs and that Randazzo they're just goofballs they don't really uh, they have no credibility at all but Correg finally he he was the beat writer who went after them and you know I think the frustration too is when you're watching these other teams make moves I mean the Philadelphia Phillies are signing people. They're trying to, you know, and I think some of these t- organizations, some of these teams, San Diego Padres are, are, are trying to do it too. I think a lot of these teams are looking at the landscape of, of the league and they're saying, you know what, if you can get to 85 wins, that's only four over 500. You're, you're in the hunt for a wild card. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to make it, but if you're in that hunt for that wild card, if you're a game, two games out in September, it's going to help you draw fans that you have – the, the the wild card has now become the the real pennant race, and maybe that that this is what the, the Met organization is looking at. Maybe that's what Alderson looks at when he sees that. He and says, you know what? And I, it stinks. If we 
if we were in another city, they would be complaining, but it wouldn't be as bad because of the Yankees. The Yankees make it worse. And what's yeah. frustrating the Mets fans is, and I always hated this, and I've argued with this on Twitter, why do you care about the take-back New York stuff? The Yankees <laughs> have a brand. Even when the Mets have been the popular team in town, the Yankees have a brand that was established uh, at the turn of the century of the 1900s. Like, that's how far back it goes. It goes back to prohibition. It goes back to uh, the Great Depression. Like, you go to Europe, people know who the Yankees are. Like, it's, yeah. it's like, uh, it's like the, the, the soccer team. What is it? Uh, uh, Manchester? That day, everybody knows who they Manchester are. United. You it's a... Yeah, you, you can't. You, you, it's different. And you know, hate George Steinbrenner all you want. When he did the Adidas deal back in the 90s and he leveraged that brand, when he saw the market inefficiency, he'd say, I could just take this and make more money, and it's my money. This is before revenue sharing and all this other stuff, taxes, luxury taxes, all this stuff. He did it, and everybody screamed and yelled, but he did it, and uh, the Mets didn't. So if Fred Wilpon's upset about the Yankees, he has nobody to blame but himself on that. And I think if Mets fans are going to focus on protest and take back New York, just focus on enjoying what you can of a team that I think I think they're going to make moves. And I think that especially with now all this coming out, you know the Wilpons enough, Steve. I'll put money down now, December 21st, four days before Christmas. Maybe it'll happen before this podcast publishes. They're going to do something because they're not going to like all this negativity about the payroll. They're going to do something about it. You agree? I I think they they'll try to do something. I don't think they're going to go overboard. I don't think Alderson wants to go overboard. I mean, you know, the Jay back Bruce pay, is the guy they're going to try. They're going to try to get Jay Bruce. I think he's going to go to the West Coast, but it sounds like it. I think they're going to try to get Jay Bruce. I think that's going to be what their response is going to be. Well, you know, I think what 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 drives you crazy too is when you read, you know, the, the media puts out the reports. The Mets are thinking about that they're speaking to uh, Jay Bruce. They haven't. They don't say if they made him an offer. If they've talked about, you know, you, you want to come back here and they, they, oh, they're talking to him. And then, then you hear that all oh, the Giants have made him an offer. And it's like, uh, you know, are, are you are you serious about it or, or are you just you know you know fooling with this guy? But you know you can't worry about. You sometimes you just got to take like you say before. You got to take care of your own house. Don't worry about the other guy's house. He's got his problems. The Yankees, you know, and let's not think that the Yankees are automatically headed to the World Series in 2018 because unless they shore up a little that pitching staff, I don't care how many home runs Stanton and Judge hit. And don't be surprised if they end up turning around by the, you know, maybe not this season, maybe next season, shipping Stanton off to the Dodgers because that's where he wants to go. The guy wanted to be a Dodger. So I it'll mean, probably, I don't think probably, be a... and here's what'll drive here's what'll drive Mets fans nuts. Yankees, it sounds like, are really trying to push to get Jared Cole. Jared Cole, you know, kid grew up a Yankees fan, makes sense. Good pitcher, he'll pitch well there. Uh, he's not Sandy Koufax either. But the Yankees have the young yeah. talent. That the, 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 the hopefully the Pirates make it hurt. Like what I don't like is when teams don't make the Yankees feel pain. Mets felt some pain in getting Cespedes. They gave up Fulmer. And they could use Fulmer now. But you had to get Cespedes. Make them feel a little bit of pain. Don't make them squirt. The Yankees are willing to give up a prospect. More than likely, it's probably not a prospect they think that's going to pan out. It's always been the case with the Yankees. They never, they're never. they very smart that way. Cashman has done an outstanding job. 
has a bigger margin of error because he has that padding, that cushion, things like that. So what do you want to and see that, the Mets that, do, Steve? That's so a key me, also. You, you know, the, the Yankees Mets. can afford to make a mistake, whereas the Mets can't afford mistakes because the, it, they don't have the wherewithal to that's a fix great that mistake. Point. Here's something Steve Phillips said that's not been reported. Steve Phillips said that, and he, he's, what he really questions on the Mets is we've been assuming that David Wright's insurance money is getting reinvested into the team. He said when Mo Vaughn got hurt, he was not allowed to reinvest that money in the team and make it. He was, it was budgeted as part of the budget. So it wasn't like they said, okay, Mo Vaughn's making whatever it was. Like it was $17 million at that point. It's not like they said, okay, you, let's take that $17 million out or 80% of it because insurance is covering 80% of it. No, that was in the budget. He said that. He said that on the air the other day on MLB Network Radio. Yeah. If that was what they did with Mo Vaughn, my guess is they might be doing something similar, especially considering Wright is trying to play. And if he plays, they're going to have to pay him the full amount, whatever it is, $20 million. So they may not be reinvesting the right insurance money. And you're, I know you the Islanders investment, the eSports investment. In a lot of ways, Steve, they may see those investments as being a pathway to being an overall better ownership group because they'll be more profitable, as crazy as that may sound. No, you can't it, it deny makes there's sense probably profitability. So maybe in a way they're actually trying to use that to be able to have the additional resources that they don't have. Again, this is not anything – the fans listening aren't going to like hearing this, but this is the real world. This is business. This is reality. This isn't the, you know, the valley of the stupid. This isn't benigno radio. These are things that, that, that go on in the world today. No, you know, the real estate company, the Sterling Equities, is, is very lucrative. They have so many properties on the east side of Manhattan, and they ended up doing a lot of the investments into Brooklyn, especially in Williamsburg, you know, which, which was a neighborhood that took off, and also down in Gowanus, which is also taking off. So, you know, when it comes to that, you know, they, they know how to, how to invest that and how to do that. Now, I would, you would think that you would hopefully translate that kind of expertise that you have in the real estate to doing it in the baseball and running a, an organization. See, what, I think what frustrates me more than anything, like Howard's book, The Cardinal Way, which I thought was one of the great books, baseball books, uh, two years ago. It's a great book, and I, everybody who's listening should definitely read this book because it, it went through the whole or, the Cardinal organization and how they went from, you know, it's always been the Cardinal Way back to, you know, when the in the twenties and thirties and how they taught players how to play through the minor leagues to now where they were heavily into the analytics and Jeff Ludnow, who was the GM then is now running the Astros and runs it the same way. When I read like these organizations and, you know, I start to think, well, and even Brian Cashman, if you ever listen to him when he speaks, he's, he's totally bought in hundred percent into analytics. And that's why Joe Girardi, you know, he looks at it where, you know, Joe, if they would have brought back Joe Girardi, they would have had to pay him about $10 million a year. So why not, why, why not bring another guy in, pay him a million dollars, save that nine every year, and just have go, you know, give him the printouts and say, here, here's what you're going to do in this inning. This inning. If this situation arises, this is what you do. Now, I don't really buy into all of that, but if if the if the Mets told me that, listen, our they never talk about their analytics department. They have one because every team has one. But they never tell you, like, moves that they make. Is it from the analytics department? 
how, you know, they, they I don't to, think they're as analytically to... savvy under Alderson as we thought. I mean, the whole fact that they're bringing in uh, that that sleeve that they're going to put on the pitchers to monitor their uh, uh, their mechanics, you know, the hydration. There's a lot of progressive things that Callaway's bringing over yeah. from Cleveland. Now, whether it works or not, I mean, it's not look a crappy pitcher is a crappy pitcher. The you know Hansel Ro- Hansel Robles who has a great arm. Maybe Pedro Martinez could help him. I know he was working out with Pedro Martinez the other day. There was some videos over on Facebook and Twitter and things like that. That, to me, has been the disappointment of Alderson. The, the, the drafts have not been great. The development has not been great. The progressiveness has not been great. But you didn't hire a progressive manager, and you had a pitching coach that was around for years, way before Alderson was even there. And you, he basically replaced probably one of the most progressive at the time pitching coaches in baseball, and Rick Peterson. So to yeah. me, that's the Alderson failure. He came in as a progressive analytical guy, but he has not been. Now, again, if you, if you believe and you know that Howard has with his smoke, his fire, there is a financial constraint. You have to cut corners. If you're going to pay a player. You may be cutting on the analytics department. You may be cutting back on some of those things. We don't know. Uh, it's very possible. But in a lot of ways, you don't really even have – there's people you could have brought in at an affordable rate that were better than the people I believe you have in there, even the pitching coach and the manager. You could have brought the people in uh, that were way better candidates than those two guys because I don't think Dave Island and Mickey Calloway are making a ton of money uh, this year. No. I mean, they're making good salaries. I, I, I don't think they're making I would, Yeah, I, I don't I – don't. You know, I don't think Terry Collins was making a ton of money either. No, but I mean, he was he was making enough where you look at it like a million dollars a year for that, you could get yourself an uh, yeah. up and coming manager rather than a retread that uh, that had failed in in every stop and, and really failed here in New York too, despite the the World Series. I mean, look, twenty something good weeks in seven years. That's really what it came down to, Steve. Twenty, you know, second half fifteen, second half sixteen. That's it. Everything else is garbage, and yeah. uh, it shouldn't I mean, be that. Way. It shouldn't be that way. You know, yeah, I mean, I think you know, I, I can you can sense the fr- you know the the fan frustration, especially after 2015. You win the pennant, you go to the World Series. It was in the World Series. It was a World Series that was that was winnable for the Mets. If you had the right guy in that dugout who knew how to make moves, you know, you 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 could win that World Series. You you shouldn't have. You could have beat the Royals. They weren't. This was not the 27 Yankees they were facing. And I think that once you do that, now you're like, okay, we have to build off this. And and they really didn't. And the thing comes with the with the injuries. It's you know, if one or two guys get hurt, all right. But this 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 whole team, half the team ends up on the disabled list. There's something wrong. There's something wrong there. And and, and what still sticks with me is when. When Alderson was asked by the media, well, don't you talk to Ramirez? Don't you talk to the trading staff? He says, well, no, they, you know, we don't meet every day. I'm like, how is that possible? I'm sure Bill Belichick meets with his staff with the strength and well, conditioning that, this is where the manager, every day. <laughs> does he have a pulse? Does your field manager have a pulse? I never understood what Terry did other than he did all these interviews and chucked it up with, uh, shucked it up with the, uh, uh, the beat riders. You know, he stood there yeah, he was in the batting never, cage. Big deal. He he was never challenged in any of these. You know, every, every no. I mean, he would meet with the press every day. They asked the same question over and over again. Half three quarters of them looked like they wish they were someplace else when they're at these 
press conferences, no one ever challenges the guy. I don't know what they were afraid of. Can somebody, like, you know, talk to him and ask him about bullpen management and ask why a, a, a reliever gets up three times during a game and throws uh, throws a whole uh, at least a whole game in a bullpen, and then, you know, you bring him into a game and you wonder why the guy, you know, has lost control and lost command of the pitches. Well, he left everything in that bullpen because you got him up three separate times. But then, you know, it, it was he was never questioned. And I, I mean, I don't know if they're going to give Callaway that same kind of uh, treatment. Who knows? I mean, we'll wait and see. But I mean, I, I, I never see him get mad once at a beat writer for asking a question. I mean, I've watched John Tortorella did, he, come out have, when he was have a question asked and didn't like it and walk off. <laughs> right. So let's 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 wrap it up with this, Steve. Um, what do you, let's assume Mets have ten to twenty million dollars to spend. Let's 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 assume that. What do you want them to do? What would you like them to do with that? Is it signing Jay Bruce? And I guess I don't know if you could get another reliever with that. You might have to wait till January for prices to drop. I don't think Addison Reed will drop. Maybe trade A.J. Ramos, and then you bring Reed in with the money you save. Uh, maybe Neil Walker's market goes down. Um, I don't know what kind of appetite they have. I don't think Walker's going to get more than a one-year deal. That's my feeling anyway. But what, do you, what would you like to see the team do? Well, one of the things I'd like to see them do is build the bench. When you look at what you have left on, on the bench, it's not much. I mean, I got, you're going to go with Dono and Pilecki as catcher. Now, your infield backups are who? Evans and Caccini or Matt Reynolds? You have who's your, your fifth outfielder? You, you know, these, you know, you don't know. The bullpen too. It's you know what you have now. I think they're kind of set with the bullpen. I don't know if they're going to bring in another. You bring in a Wade Davis. There's guys out there. Wade Davis is is still out there, even for starting pitching. I mean, Lance Lynn is still out there. Arietta is still out there. So the price tags on both yeah, those guys are probably those too, are, too high. Those are at levels where you're not going to get it with $20 million to spend. You know, oh, yeah, no, you're not going to get it with that. But, you you know, and, well, this is where the, the analytics department comes in. They need to crunch some numbers and see where can you find somebody in the bullpen that's going to give you the, you know, the, the, the excellent strikeout-to-walk ratio that you want to look at. Or you want to look at the starting uh, starting pitcher who's going to give you some innings who maybe won't won't cost you more than a one year contract at two or three million dollars, and try to build it that way. Uh, I mean, then you, you got to hope that if they do, you know, the, the key is going to if they could stay healthy. If if everybody, if if Matt Harvey doesn't go on the DL or Syndergaard goes on the DL again, and if Cespedes can you know play a full season, then they they'll be. In a in a run, they'll be in a run for at least a wild card spot, at least a second wild card spot. Now, do you make a commitment during the during the uh, the season to bring in somebody at a at a big price to, for for a pennant run? Uh, I know we're getting kind of ahead of ourselves there, but you, you know, I, I I mean, is is this like set in stone where we have ten million dollars to spend, and then after that ten million, uh, you know, you can't we're not going to do anything else. Or is this like kind of a smokescreen saying, you know, just to, to say this for now to try and then, but if there is during the year, like when you come up to the trade deadline to make a move, you know, will, will the, will the ownership, will the will ponds tell uh, Sandy, okay, you want to bring in a guy that's making how much we're going to have to pay him $7 million over the rest of the season. Is this going to help us go over the top? All right, bring him in. That's the thing. I, I mean, cause if they can make at. the playoffs, that obviously is revenue that they could, 
they could benchmark sure. towards that. Steve, it's it's like a blast from the past. You know, time flies. <laughs> we, you know, you got almost a, you know, between my open and then you, we got a, like an, an hour of content there. Uh, first, Merry Christmas. We're allowed to say that on this show. We don't we don't yes, count we out to political correctness. Oh, um, we're not the PC you know, and Happy New sure. Year, and and hopefully, I know that you're kind of semi-retired. Hopefully it gets you around more often. You know, I've been saying, no, I got to get Steve on. Then I'm like, I'm going on Twitter. I'm like, it seems like Steve, you know, the, you know, the, before all this nonsense, the Mets were doing okay uh, before this year. <laughs> Steve's retired. But now we know that you're not totally retired. You don't do no, road listen. games. You just do home games. This, 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 this kind of rejuvenated me. It's getting me back into the feeling, you know, <laughs> like Michael Corleone. Just when I think I'm out and they drag me back in. But anytime drag you, you back you in, know, well, anytime we'll you want, you know, you know where I am. <laughs> we'll see what the reaction. Anyway, get get on with your night. Thanks a lot, and uh, you can go watch the Knicks beat the Celtics. All right, that's a, for those oh. who don't know. Steve is a Celtics fan. How a guy have... who's all New York, Staten Island born, <laughs> Mets fan. You know, work for work for the city for crying out loud. You know, <laughs> could be a Boston Celtics fan. Is the great sac? The only bigger sacrilege is how Evan Roberts is a, is a Brooklyn Nets fan, but that's a whole other story. He's a Nets fan. Day, so, but think yeah, about Nets this: fan. I'm I, I'm a I'm a Celtics fan back to the days of Henry Finkel, Eric Fernstein. Even when they started to when they started to go down, I was rooting for the Celtics. So now that we're Celtics back up fan, again, Rangers fan, Mets fan, yeah. and Giants fan can't and the Giants. You gotta you gotta work you gotta work on that anyway. We, we could you do another hour some, on uh, the rest, Giants. Man. <laughs> <laughs> we could do a lot. We could do an hour on a lot of things. You go get some rest, and we'll definitely be doing this again, my friend. Have a great uh, holiday. Fantastic. I enjoyed it very much, Mike. It's just uh, as good as it's always been. Thank you so much. All right. Steve Keen, Cranepool Society, at Cranepool on Twitter. Fun stuff. Uh, did we solve anything? I don't know. But, you know, certainly he gave you his take. And, um, you know, listen. I'll leave you with this, the whole theme here. The only thing that really bothers me, because I, I, I understand the financial situation, and I'm not just going to dwell on it. I think there needs to be more reporting on that. And, uh, you know, if they're meeting the league's debt rules and they're meeting their bills and they're meeting their payroll and they're paying everybody, there's not much you can do. Don't go to the game. Don't, I, I, think, I think you're wasting your time by protesting. Don't go to the game. You're not happy with a store and the service that the store is providing, don't shop there. Do something else. You're not entitled, as a fan of the media, you're not entitled to tell people how to spend their money, and you're not entitled to say who own, who can own what. You have your wallet do the talking. But the most disappointing part, like I said, of all this is the fact that the, the ownership does not feel that this is a roster that they should invest in. I think last year is a bad example of – of what this roster is about because I think this team, it was years of poor preparation and a poor, poor leadership in the dugout that culminated in what happened last year. And hopefully they made the right decision with Mickey Calloway and Dave Island. That's not going to be the end all be all. They still need an impact bat, whether it be a Jay Bruce, a second baseman, a Kipnis. And I'd like to see them get another reliever. And then they're going to have to go into the bargain bin and they're going to have to try to build the bench and maybe round some things out. There are arms on this roster for the bullpen that are interesting. Don't don't discount that. You have to. It's not a the forty man roster is not complete trash here, and everyone's acting like they need that uh, you know a complete overhaul. 
They need reinforcements. They may not be the reinforcements that you want them to get, but they need reinforcements. And I think they will get something. And my prediction is, is that this publicity, the Sherman article, Steve Phillips going out there, you know, Mark Carrig, all this stuff will lead them to make a move. Now, hopefully it's not a panic move because you don't want them to go out and panic um, and, and make a stupid move. But I think they will make a move, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's before New Year, but we, uh, we shall see. Sounds like Jay Bruce wants to go to the West Coast, and you know, I didn't get into it with Steve, but I, and I've been saying this for a while. The West Coast is a very desired location for players, and if it's all things being equal, forget the Will Ponds and the Mets. West Coast and New York East Coast, I think the West Coast wins all the time. I think you're going to see that more and more with the, with the modern player. The weather, the lifestyle – it's just night and day. Uh, last show, it looks like, unless something big happens before the new year, we'll be back in the new year. Probably the next show will be uh, Hall of Fame. We'll do a Hall of Fame show. I- I'm guessing there'll be something to talk about Mets-related. We'll see. Uh, but it's really been, uh, you know, first I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Holidays. You know, I made a joke about the political correctness, but we are all inclusive here. Uh, happy New Year. And I really enjoy doing this. Uh, it's a pleasure, you know, when you guys call in, good feedback, bad feedback, the tweets, the good, the bad, the nasty. It's all good. Say what you got to say. Get it off your chest. I don't care. I, you know, having a reaction is what this is all about. And uh, hopefully everybody uh, enjoys their holiday. Uh, don't get too caught up in all this protest and Met stuff. Uh, it's not worth it. Uh, there's a lot better ways to spend your time and try to enjoy baseball as much as you can. And, um, and you know, we'll see what happens as we go into 2018. And February 12th is the reporting date for pitchers and catchers. That's not that far away. That's less than two months away. So we're not too far off from there being actual, not games, but baseball talk that's, uh, uh, you know, really right around the corner rather than just hot stuff talk. So, hey, we're out of time. I want to thank Steve Keen, our buddy. Check him out on Twitter at Cranepool. Of course, I want to thank the fine folks over at MetsmorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I just want to give a WFAN credit for some of those Steve Phillips audio clips that I played earlier today from the Joe and Evan show, uh, actually yesterday. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. I don't know when I'm going to talk to you next. It may be after the New Year. It may not, but it'll be soon. Be well, everybody.